Welcome to the Girls Who Gather podcast, a podcast spotlighting women's stories from a diverse range of backgrounds and stages of life, highlighting the ways they are building community, empowering other women, and walking out their calling. We are so glad that you decided to tune in. Our heart and our hope in launching this podcast is to begin extending the voice of Gather beyond just the physical spaces where we meet in our cities, campuses, and apartments. We want to make our content even more accessible to all of you. With an incredible diversity of feminine voices, we want to create a catalogue of stories, testimonies, inspirational content, and more that you and your friends can always return to for inspiration and empowerment. We will also be announcing Gather News, updates, and other exciting events coming up on this platform. So stay tuned for more from us as we journey through this next season together. And as you listen, we encourage you to lean in and learn from some truly incredible women. We are excited to have our next guest on the show today, Ms. Joanna Taft. She is the proud mother of three and like myself, a native of the beautiful capital city, Washington, DC. Joanna is also a passionate public speaker and has led several TED Talks ranging in topics from the effects and implications of cultural and economic gentrification in America's urban spaces to the need to address social issues through the innovation of the arts. Um, Today, she holds the title of Executive Director at the Harrison Center for the Arts in Indianapolis and is the inspiring creator of Pre-Enact Indie, an urban project set out to imagine what neighborhood development and growth would look like without the damaging effects of displacement and disinvestment upon historically invested in founding communities. She has pursued several speaking engagement opportunities to shed light on the issues and tensions of urban development and community transformation. And having appeared on the Drink Culture podcast, she is no stranger to our platform today. We are so excited to have Joanna with us and to dive into a rich discussion of her work. Joanna, a warm welcome to you from our Gather listeners. Thank you. I'm excited to have this conversation. (laughs) We're excited to have you. So I think we want to start off by asking a little bit about your upbringing, your background as you've entered into your field. Um, It seems as though the desire for making lasting change has been with you and in you from the beginning since you were young. So you grew up in D.C., you knew you wanted to work in government. Could you please tell us a bit more about your life as a young woman and what shaped your desire to make an impact with your life the way that you're doing now? I grew up in a um, household and there was this idea of the cultural mandate that I was taught. Have you ever heard of the cultural mandate? So the cultural mandate is that in Genesis, um, humankind is called to continue the work of creation and to Mm -hmm. build culture. And this was kind of intriguing to me because what it meant was humankind is called to plant gardens and to raise families and to build cities and to create art and beauty and to heal broken systems and revitalize neighborhoods and, and heal the world. And so that was um, that, that type of influence or being raised that way made me feel like I could do whatever I wanted to do and I could be a healing agent. Mm -hmm. And so I was a business major in college. And um, my desire, having grown up in D.C., was to work for the federal government, and I wanted Mm -hmm. to bring healing to some broken systems in the federal government. And so that's how I started out, and I worked for um, federal agency. And then I met a Hoosier. Do you know what a Hoosier is? I feel like I've heard of this before. Is this a college thing? (laughs) Um, Well, so people know of IU and the Hoosiers. Oh, dear. um, (laughs) But a Hoosier is somebody from Indiana. And of course, I'm from Maryland, and I I didn't even really know what Indiana was. I knew it was like an (laughs) ice thing. You know, 
Idaho, Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, yeah. they all just kind of blur together. So I married a Hoosier and um, he'd been working on Capitol Hill. I'd been working at the bottom of the hill for an agency and we moved to um, Indiana. And when I moved to Indiana, um, we, when we got married, we started talking about how we wanted our family to have a calling. We wanted to have a purpose. Mm -hmm. And our purpose became the healing of the city. Now that sounds kind of oh. like we thought we were pretty big and pretty grand. We were just trying to have a purpose. And my husband's <laughs> field was um, community development. Mm. And so he was interested in neighborhoods and he saw all these broken neighborhoods with abandoned mm -hmm. homes and, and crime problems and education, all kinds of injustice issues, right? Yeah. And, um, and he thought, you know, how could, how could his work help heal the city? And mm -hmm. then, you know, I was a bureaucrat. Um, <laughs> and so I had to completely, Indiana didn't need or want the kind of bureaucrats that they have in D.C. So I had to reinvent mm -hmm. myself. And yeah. um, I discovered, I also discovered neighborhoods and, um, and I got involved with um, trying to strengthen neighborhoods. So that was kind of mm -hmm. my, my entry to, um, to what eventually became a career in the arts and merging community development and the arts. That's beautiful. Wow. 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 That's amazing. <laughs> I love that your heart, like, it wasn't just that you wanted to do government work. It was actually you wanted to see healing brought to these agencies and these systems. It's a huge part of my, my story. And I think Noelle's too, it's just kind of what we want to see happen in the world. So that's really just encouraging to hear. Um, and you have an incredible story. So you moved to a community in Indiana and with your husband and your, your new baby, and you noticed this neighborhood around you was kind of facing issues, both in the physical space and then I think kind of in the community at large. Um, and, you know, you, at the time when you moved, the, the community you were in was was two churches or two schools, a church and a thriving arts center less than it was um, now because of, of you and, and kind of your drive to see these things change. And so I want to talk, you started, a, you started a lot of things, but I want to talk first about um, the Oaks Academy, which was a private school that you helped start. Um, and I really was interested in, I, I read an article about this school and it was um, kind of quoted as a, a vehicle of for racial reconciliation. And the student body is equal both in parts of um, students of color and white students. And this model just of the school in general has also been replicated elsewhere. Um, and so I really wanted to know kind of just more about your heart for starting this school and um, the vision behind it. And why was it important to you to use um, this school for, for that purpose in this community? Um, so um, my friend who was the, you know, I'm, I'm one of the families that helped start it, but the real driver was this amazing woman named Sue and she was a doctor and, um, and she and her husband um, lived in, um, we, our neighborhood wasn't very good. Her neighborhood was about eight blocks away and it was even worse. And there was a little boy on her street that was in third grade in the public school and he couldn't read. And she thought, you know, my, my kids, I, I could homeschool them, I could send them to private school, my kids will learn how to read, and, and Brandon doesn't know how to read. And so she gathered us together, she gathered her friends together, and had this crazy idea of starting a school. And not just a school that would teach academics, but a school that would be for everyone. And so, um, it, an amazing story, um, basically, very quickly, it, it came together, and it started with about 50 kids. My daughter was her first year, uh, first day of school. She was the, you know, she's always been a part of a new school, it seems like. <laughs> um, and so uh, our family started out there and 
it was hard work. Um, I think that when you're, when you're trying to do something that is so countercultural that, mm. um, it, it's just really hard work, but it was absolutely beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, I believe that, um, and the school has gone on to now there's three campuses and different neighborhoods and, and turning out, um, students with an amazing academic, um, experience, but also a heart experience of, of learning to have soft hearts mm -hmm. um, towards others. Wow. I love that. Um, and you also helped start an art school. And um, I went to an arts high school, so I'm familiar with the, with the model a little bit, but it was the, the impact that that had on my life and the way that that taught me to kind of intersect my love for arts and my love for academics has had a lasting impact on, on my life and will continue to in the future. So um, I wanted to talk a little bit about that school as well. Um, and there's kind of a funny story that I was reading about you that, you know, in order to get it actually like built and um, to get the permit for it, you kind of convinced people to, to help you put it on their application for proposals. And then when it did start, you were, um, you guys were trying to build and trying to get it done before the students started school in the fall. And then they were, they were having school alongside the artists that were in residence in the arts uh, center that you started. And um, that's just such a crazy story. Can you tell us, I'm sure you can tell it much better, but um, can you tell us a little bit about um, just starting that school as well? And then also just about persevering when things get tricky and hard, um, yeah. because I'm just, I imagine that process was just so, so wild and something that you've really never done before, but um, that you really wanted to see happen. And so just wondering if you could give us a little feel for what it's like to continue to push through and, and to do something mm. you believe in, even when it's, you're up against opposition. Yeah, so I was, at the time, um, I had started an art center and the art center was only about a year and a half old. And my artists started coming to me and we were doing really well. We we're getting a lot of newspaper attention and big crowds. And my artists started coming to me and saying, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to move. I'm going to move to New York. LA, Chicago. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, we have <laughs> wow. the best parties here. And they said, Joanna, <laughs> we need art patrons. You know, mm, you have yeah. all these, you call them emerging patrons, but you know, they, mm. they can't support me. I have to pay, you know, I have to pay my bills and I need to be able to sell art. So I need to move to a city where you can, um, wow. where you can support yourself with, with art patrons. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what to do. And I knew that it was a problem that I had to solve, but I really didn't know what to do. And it was about the same time um, that right around the corner from us was a historic art campus. It used to be the campus for the museum in town, the art museum. Wow. And then it mm -hmm. was taken over by um, a college. And they decided that they were moving for about 30 years. They had um, wanted to move. And so all of a sudden they announced that they were actually moving. So this is a crisis. If you've ever lived in a neighborhood with abandoned buildings, um, that's a real challenge. It's hard on a neighborhood because of all the activity that it attracts, um, you know, sometimes crime and, and litter and just kind of disrepair. So I was put on a commission. It was my very first commission. The mayor put me on a commission to figure out what the new use of that building would be. And I went to these meetings and there were people that had crazy ideas. <laughs> I won't tell you what they are. <laughs> they weren't sustainable and they weren't the kind mm -hmm. of ideas that people get passionate about, which are my three tests for a good project. And so I was sitting in the back of the room and I was feeling very insecure. I'd never been on a commission. I, um, I didn't feel like I knew anything, but I, I raised my hand in the back of the room and I said, you know, there's this new charter school movement and I don't know much about it, 
but there's money there. And what if Mm. we were to honor the art and education history of this site and start a high school designed to grow art patrons? Remember Mm. that my artists needed patrons. And so I had to think generationally. I had to think about how could we grow a new generation of art patrons who would be our artists and teachers and doctors and voters and volunteers and moms, the kind of world-class citizens that we need to be a healthy city. And so I raised my hand in the back of the room and everyone turned around and looked at me and said, okay, you do that. But, you know, I didn't have any money. Uh, Nobody knew who I was. I wasn't a community leader. And so um, the mayor had had said this property actually has to produce tax taxes. It has to be um, housing and it has to be condos, that type of thing. And so he set out an RFP and developers were going to apply to turn it into condos. So my plan was to get on every single developer's application. And we did. (laughs) In one application, we were in one building. Another application, we were in the basement of a building and another building. So it looked different with every application. And -hmm. so that's how we got on the radar screen of people because the only thing that was interesting about the applications was that this new school here in high school was on every application. So that's how we got there. That's just part part A. You know, there was (laughs) two other challenges. Yeah. Right. So I suppose the work, um, Joanna, that you're, you're saying that you do and that, you know, you're seeing the fruit of now, I know there has to be tensions to it as well, not just on the community level, but also at the leadership level. Perhaps people have different ideas or timelines, deadlines, or ways that they would want to see these mm-hmm. things carried out. So how do you, for yourself, um, remain inspired? I mean, we also mentioned sustainability. You know, the work you're doing should be sustainable as much as your passions or your motivations and your methods to do the work should be sustainable. So could you also speak to doing the kind of work that you do? How do you sustain a mindset for the community that you wanna serve and the change you wanna see? So when I started the high school, I was scared to the core of my being Mm -hmm. every day for a year and a half, (laughs) all night long, every day. It was horrible, okay? So what you need to know is the only way I was able to get out of bed every day was I had a sense of calling, Mm -hmm. Um, a calling to heal the city, a calling that, that this was what I was supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't do it, nobody else would. If I, if there had been somebody else that would have done it, oh my goodness, I would have been their chief. (laughs) I would have been at their side, but nobody else would do it. And so I, no, I had never, you know, when I was a part of starting the Oaks Academy, I was part of a group that was starting that. And the Oaks Academy was a private school. It didn't, didn't have the same uh, red tape as starting a, a charter school, public school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had never started a school by myself. I had never, uh, I'd never been the leader of that type of effort. And a public school is a much more political and challenging mm-hmm. school to start. Right. So um, I, I didn't know how to do everything and I made a lot of mistakes. So an example would be when we had uh, one of our hearings, um, you know, we, we, we got the, we got what we were asking for, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't a well-known community leader. I was a neighborhood person. I was a mom, mm-hmm. you know, I was a mom in tennis shoes. I wasn't, um, <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't one of the, the men that ran a cor- big corporation in town, wow. right. That, yeah. that had the, the community respect. So after right. we got after we got the approvals that we needed to start the school, 
um, one of my board members pulled me to the side and said, you know, Joanna, you've done a good job in getting us here, but we really need a community leader. We really need mm -hmm. somebody with more prestige. We really need somebody mm -hmm. that's better spoken. We really need somebody that, mm -hmm. that, um, that we can be um, a leader that we can, he didn't say that we could be proud of, but that's what he was saying to me really, <laughs> yeah. is that um, I, was just, I was just a little neighborhood person. And, you know, I wanted to fall on the floor, you know, I wanted to, I was, I felt um, like somebody had just said to me, you're not good enough. Mm. And you're right. I wasn't, he was right. I wasn't good enough. I was a, I was a neighborhood leader, but um, there wasn't anybody else to take that role. And so I had to keep going because the fancy people didn't want to be involved in something as risky as starting a school that, I mean, it was kind of a crazy idea what we were doing was really, really hard. And um, there are a lot of pieces that had to be figured mm -hmm. out. And, and so nobody else was willing to do it. So, um, so again, I go back to, for me, having a sense of calling gives me mm -hmm. courage. It gives me purpose and it gives me perseverance. And oh. so I still get yeah. scared. I st there are still things that are way too hard for me, but I do them anyway because I've learned that being afraid has nothing to do with anything. I can get a lot of work done when I'm afraid. <laughs> so I just wow. set, I, and sometimes I'm, sometimes you get used to the fear and sometimes you don't, but it doesn't matter because that, mm. that doesn't mean you can't accomplish something. So here in high school, yeah. opened its doors because I had, because I worked when I was afraid. Wow. Because I had a sense of calling. That's really awesome. And so now from, from someone who, you know, you're, you're the neighborhood mom, just someone in this community living and abiding here and, and seeing an area for change. Well, now you hold the title of executive director for the Harrison Center of the Arts. And so, you know, I, I recognize the Harrison Center's mission is to be a catalyst for renewal in the city of Indianapolis by fostering awareness, appreciation and community for arts and culture. And I think that's such a beautiful marriage of what you were saying, you know, you were kind of afraid of, am I, am I qualified enough to do, can I actually do this? Bridging that gap and now bringing it all together. So could you tell me a bit more about your process of starting the Harrison Center and, and what that work looks like for you now? Yeah, so I, I think the theme of my life would be starting things I don't know anything about. It's a lot <laughs> more interesting that way. So um, I, I really um, didn't, have a background in contemporary art. I had had some experience in cultural programming, but, but contemporary art's a whole, whole different um, ball game. So um, I, my neighborhood um, didn't have kind of the institute, the community gathering places mm. um, and didn't have um, the, the institutions that kind of bring stability to a neighborhood that pull people together. Wow. And so um, we, um, basically had this idea of starting uh, an art center to the neighbors wanted an art center. They, 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 we had a lot of social services and social services are good, but you need to have the energy of the arts to kind mm. of get you through some of the social services. Um, right. mm. And so um, having that combination of social services and arts seemed like a really um, good thing for our neighborhood. And so we started the, uh, the art center. It has, 36 artists have studios and some of the studios, wow. you know, when we first opened them up, 
we said $100 regardless of size, shape, or smell. And some of them do smell. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is an old building that wasn't designed to be an art center. Right. <laughs> and then we, we started with one gallery. We have six galleries today. And then our focus was working with emerging artists, kind of these artists that, that um, needed help getting going. They needed subsidized space. They needed kind of a, a dorm mom to help encourage them and to uh -huh. yeah. help them show their work. Yeah. And then we um, started out having emerging patrons. And those are basically people, um, I realized I was an emerging patron. I liked art, but I was kind of scared of the art scene. You know, um, fear has to be a little bit of a, um, where I'm going to talk about that a lot because contemporary artists can be really intimidating. Mm -hmm. And so here I was, somebody who didn't have that background, who had been worked for the government and had a business background, um, suddenly was leading an art center. And so we realized that if I, who I'm, I'm reasonably well educated and I've done a fair amount of travel in my life, so if I was intimidated by art, probably a lot of other people were too. And Knowing that, with that as my kind of hunch, we crafted the art center to appeal to people who were intimidated by art mm -hmm. because we wanted everyone to be everyone to be able to come, and so that's built. So, an average first Friday pre-COVID, we'd have about 12, um, anywhere from eight hundred to twelve hundred people attending wow. our opening, and we use that that energy of people gathering at the Harrison Center to start here in high school. We could never have started here in high school mm -hmm. if we hadn't didn't have the energy of the art center. And, and then, um, and by the way, I, I should mention that Heron High School was a second campus spun out of Heron High School. And now together, both campuses have over a thousand kids and are in wow. the top percent of public schools. Um, um, so, so when we started, started the high school or started the art center, then started the high school after the, you know, art center was only a year and a half old when we started the high school. And then um, we had all these youth that we, needed to do something with. All of a sudden we had access to high school students. So we started a cultural entrepreneur internship initiative. And the purpose uh -huh. of that was to teach high schoolers to see a need, take a risk. It's gonna be scary, that's part of the story. Leverage resources, invest energy and network mm -hmm. to build culture in the city. Mm -hmm. And um, those high school kids are running music festivals with 8,000 people, they're, wow. they're building giant puppets, You know, quite a range of things. That is fantastic. Wow. So Ooh. from that cultural entrepreneur Incredible. internship um, experience, yeah. we've been able to start many, many other programs in the city and um, wow. pre-enactment and creative placemaking has come out of that. Wow. That's, That's so wild. I love that, you know, your projects all intersect and help each other and they're not kind of like these isolated, exclusive things. You, you mm -hmm. kind of have designed and, and built these programs to be able to um, just assist each other and kind of come alongside and that's just like a, a really beautiful thing that I don't think a lot of people do or, or do well so congrats to you but um, we also wanted to talk so gather exists to bring women into community we love women we want to create resources that empower them and, and set them off into their calling in life that give them better um, just ability to use their leadership giftings or, or their creative skills in whatever way we can and to bring together community and so um, I also wanted to talk about you know how you view your role at the Harrison Center um, or just in general even at the schools too um, as a space to empower other women and allow for women to flourish. I had also 
um, read and heard, I think, from Morgan, who's on our team, that uh, you sometimes will use Covenant women to come, um, Covenant being your alma mater, uh, to come work at the Harrison Center or work with you on different projects. So I wanted to talk about a little bit about how you um, have seen, you know, the, how, you, how you've raised up other women in your life, whether that's professionally or just around you. Um, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on that. Sure. Well, you know, the Harrison Center staff is all women. So our permanent staff is four, four women. Um, Three of us happen to be covenant grads. Don't tell too many people that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the, the, my other, other two staff members that um, are covenant grads were actually had come here as interns. And Mm -hmm. then after they graduated from college, I then hired them to be on staff. Um, So we have, um, every year we have about 30, probably 35 interns that work wow. for us. And uh, many of them are women. Probably most of our interns are women. Um, and we really, we create custom crafted internships so that they can uh, get the kind of personal and professional experience that they need, resume worthy experience so that they can get jobs. And so it's been one of my favorite things I ask Three questions of interns. One is what makes your heart sing? What makes you angry or sad? And what do you personally or professionally want out of this internship? And then we custom craft an experience for them. So that, that's something that's just um, very exciting to me. Um, and to be able to walk along with people and to, um, you know, find, help them find their passions and help connect their work to their passion. I love that. It's amazing. Yeah. And of course we talk about the Enneagram a lot too. Yes. The Enneagram. What are you, Joanna? What's your I'm, a I'm a three. I'm a three. Okay. I'm a two. I'm an eight. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, wait, you're a three too, Noelle? I'm a two. You're a two. Okay. I'm a two, but I'm a wing eight. Whatever that means. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I've told all of my children, my three children to marry twos. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you're set up That's well. Good news for me. <laughs> there you go. You oh my gosh, <laughs> Joanna. So, so, so. Okay, this podcast has been awesome just because I think you articulate your vision and, and what has driven you this whole journey so well. And it only seems appropriate to me that you've also done TED Talks, which is my dream. <laughs> um, speaking on these platforms yeah. to some very complicated issues. Um, and I think we should, you know, it's, it's, it's so important to recognize the times that we live in. I think some of these ongoing issues in the very communities, like the one that you're, you're working to transform and change and inspire in. Um, and so I wanted to ask you, you know, on the TED Talks discussing the impacts of gentrification that you've done um, in a project that you've actually founded, the Pre-Enactment Theater, such a unique idea. Um, it's, it's, it's what I think is the powerful nexus of all that you're interested in. So if you could, please explain more about the pre-enactment theater, what its inspiration was and, and what it does in your yeah. community. So here I am um, living in an urban neighborhood that has a lot of vacant homes, start an art center. What happens when you start an art center? Gentrification happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, started an art center, started schools, people started moving into the neighborhood. Um, and without, you know, my intention was to strengthen the neighborhood, but my intention was to not um, gentrify it, mm-hmm. and, but that's what happened. And so, as um, we saw that happening in our city, and we saw 
the neighborhood just east of us um, was getting ready to be gentrified because economic forces and developers were, were moving. Um, my thought was, was there a way to revitalize a neighborhood without gentrifying? So it was an honest question of how can it be done? There's got to be a way. And so um, my, I started interviewing the neighbors, the long-term neighbors, and asking mm -hmm. them what their hopes and dreams were. And we ended up with kind of 60 common hopes and dreams. And the interesting thing is that their hopes and dreams are pretty much exactly what my hopes and dreams are. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much everyone wants the same thing. You want good schools and good housing and jobs and good sidewalks and neighbors and porches. And, you know, the, everyone wants to have, um, we're all human. We all de desire these things. Yeah. And so we, um, they were always, my neighbors were always talking about the good old days. Mm -hmm. And for a half second, I thought, oh, you know, these living history museums that do reenactments, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be great if we did a reenactment and we acted out, we partnered with theater and we acted out the good old days. And for a half second, I thought that was a good idea. But then I realized, you know what? The good old days were really not that good. The mm -hmm. same injustices that we deal mm -hmm. with today were even worse. Mm -hmm. And so instead of always talking about the good old days, maybe instead of doing a reenactment, maybe we should do a pre-enactment. And that was a new mm. word for us. Um, mm. So we, we, um, we started thinking about how could we partner with theater, which we'd never done before. So we ended up partnering with 13 theater companies and wow. the actors acted out the neighbor's hopes and dreams. And the wow. set design built 11 temporary buildings on the vacant lots. They built a theater because the neighbors wanted a theater. They built restaurants because the neighborhoods wanted restaurants. Um, and so they, we, we built, we used the set design to kind of help people imagine that they were in a neighborhood that ought to be. And we used the actors to act out a world where there's justice and mercy. Wow. And so we invited the whole, we invited the community to come and see. It was a one day event. And the idea was as soon as you crossed the line, it was a three block stage. So as soon as every single sidewalk and street and, and building were all part of the set and you would enter into this world that ought to be and the idea is when you don't know what something looks like like i don't know i've never seen a neighborhood that's revitalized and not gentrified wow. so what would happen if i set if i walked down to a set where actors acted it out for me maybe that would give me something to work toward and for the neighbors to see their hopes and dreams acted out actually help them work towards building those helps, hopes and dreams in their neighborhood, if that makes sense. Wow. So we did that one year. It was so expensive. <laughs> you know, it cost us $80,000 just wow. to build the sets. And wow, wow, actors, wow. actors are pretty expensive. So we spent a lot of money um, putting this together. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that was good. We're done. <laughs> let me tell you, those little old ladies, they're like, uh-uh, you're coming back. <laughs> And so we continued this partnership and we've done it three years. We were supposed, we're supposed to do it this fall as well, but with COVID um, we can't gather people. So we're trying to find, we're trying to think of ways that we can um, pivot and do something different this year. But mm. what we've learned is that the pre-enactment, the actual day of the pre-enactment is where we show the community what, what the neighborhood wants, but the right. real work is the 364 days a year that we're getting ready yep. 
reenactment. And this is when we are working with the businesses. Every time a new business walks into, comes into the neighborhood, we go to them and we say, how are you going to pre-enact? How are you going to love your neighbors? How wow. are you going to change your business plan to be more equitable, wow. equitable? And let me tell you, every time they're surprised by the questions, but every time they come back with amazing things and they're really thankful that they've been invited into that conversation. And so wow. we, um, this summer during COVID, we delivered over 300 uh, neighborhood history bags to the new neighbors. This is wow. a neighborhood where new houses are being built. There's mm -hmm. been a, it's mostly vacant lots, so they're building new houses. And as new neighbors are coming, we're inviting them into an existing story. Mm -hmm. we're, we're telling them, this is not a blank slate. We're right. inviting you into the existing story. And then right. we're um, using art, the power of art, because art is so powerful. Um, we're using the power of art to elevate the long-term residents and to elevate the long-term, the, the stories of the neighborhood so that everyone is, um, so that we're honoring those that come before us. Um, mm -hmm. One of the fun things is that we, we started doing paintings, portraits of the long-term mm -hmm. residents. And originally oh, wow. we were doing a series and it was going to be called The Matriarchs. And by wow. accident, one of the paintings was a man. And we're like, shoot, we can't call it the matriarchs. And we can't call it the matriarchs and the patriarch singular, because it seems like you need to have one guy to be in charge. Right, right. And so I thought, right. you know what, we need a gender neutral term. What are we going to do? Yeah. So I started playing with it and I came up with the word great triarch. Oh, wow. So these are the great triarchs. <laughs> there you go. And none of them would say that they're the greatest neighbors, right? Mm -hmm. They're very, they're humble, but they would say, what I would say is that these neighbors have all uh, helped write the story of their neighborhood and they've invited mm -hmm. new people into that story. And they are not the kind of leaders that have squandered leadership. You know, we all know those leaders that won't let new people in. They're the right. kind of leaders that have, that have been willing to invite other people into their story. And so right now on East 16th Street, even though it's COVID, there are 18 six foot by four foot portraits of the Great Triarchs hanging wow. on 16th Street. So if you Google wow. Great Triarchs, you'll see some of these portraits. They're pretty awesome. Amazing. That's so cool. What a clever, you can write a dictionary great now. Come up with your own language. <laughs> so great. Um, I just wanted to touch on something that you had said in an interview that I listened to. Um, you were or a little, a little um, kind of video that they made about you uh, remodeling a building at your alma mater, Covenant. Um, and you said something really profound along the lines of how whenever you look at a building that needs to be restored or remodeled, you think about how you need to be restored and remodeled too. And that just hit me. I think I paused it. I was like, whoa, <laughs> I, I totally resonate. Um, but I just was wondering if you could speak a little more on that and, um, yeah, how do you think, um, what, is, what does that mean for you? Can you elaborate a little bit more on just kind of this process that you're consistently in, that we all are consistently in, of needing to be rebuilt and remodeled? Yeah, when I moved into my neighborhood, um, a third of the lots were empty. A third of mm -hmm. the lots had, well, let's say, of, of all the properties, a third of them were completely empty without houses. And then a third of them had houses, but the houses were empty. And a third of them had wow. people living in them. So it was a most, it was a fairly, felt very desolate. And some people, you know, would say, why do you, why do you live in that neighborhood? And it's got to be really depressing. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in the neighborhood because number one, I could afford it. <laughs> and my husband and I both worked for nonprofits and we didn't have that much money. Um, yeah. But also because we wanted to serve our city, we wanted to be a part of, of healing the neighbor, um, healing our city. Um, but what I, but what I discovered was that it was really a spiritual journey for me because these houses, they actually were a picture of myself and that, you know, I was, um, I was broken. I, I needed to be restored. And, mm-hmm. and it kind of kept me humble as I walked in my neighborhood and I saw, I saw the houses. It was a reminder, a constant daily reminder to me of my need to be restored. And so um, that's something I really appreciated about the neighborhood. The, the other thing is that I feel like when you live in a neighborhood, maybe a suburban neighborhood where everything is perfect, um, right. it's easy to deceive yourself that you're not broken or that you don't live mm-hmm. in a broken world. Wow. And when you live in a neighborhood that knows it needs, that, that knows it's broken, there's a beauty there. There's wow. a beauty there. And there's an opportunity for neighbors to come together because they need each other. And we're wow. created to need. We're created to need each other. And so I think that one of my biggest fears for my neighborhood is that as it's become gentrified, as it's, as the houses are all fixed up and, the, and uh, people don't need each other the way that they used to. Wow. I'll tell you that changed a little bit during COVID. COVID has been a beautiful time in terms of neighborhood life because it has reminded us that we need each other. Um, the Harrison Center has an initiative called Porching. Have you read about that? Our porch yes. So we, we encourage yeah. people to sit on their, their porches yeah. because when you, when you porch, you're connected, mm-hmm. right? And when you're connected, you're healthy. And when, you, when that happens across a neighborhood, your neighborhood becomes healthy. And so, you know, my oh. husband and I porch every Sunday from 2 to 5.30, from 3, 3 to 5.30 every Sunday. And we've been doing that since 2007. So all of a sudden, COVID happens. And we can't porch anymore. You can't invite people to sit on your porch with you. That's dangerous, right? Yep. And so the Harrison Center came up with this new idea, and it was called social distance porching. And the idea is that every day, you know, we're sitting on our couches. We have, we're sitting in front of our laptop, and we forget when it's five o'clock. You know, we're just we're on our laptops all the time. And so we invited our neighbors to get up off their laptop and from their couches at five o'clock and walk out to their front porch or their front stoop or their front yard mm-hmm. or their balcony and practice their Hey Neighbor wave. Um, just get out there and, and look at your neighbors. That's so and sweet. <laughs> and so from, from May for three months, from May to the end of June, we did this every single day at five o'clock. And on my block, there were nine families that participated and wow. the kids would come out and they'd be playing on their porches and we'd wave. And my husband and I would sit down and, um, you know, we used to have cheese and crackers and kind of charcuterie on Sunday oh. afternoon. We started <laughs> doing it every day and I gained weight during COVID. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so we've kind of stopped that. Now we just wave. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I think that neighborhood life can be challenging because you have to get along with your neighbors. You have to serve your neighbors. You have to know your neighbors. And right. so, um, my neighborhood that I moved into was a neighborhood that it obviously was a neighborhood that needed people and needed neighbors to love it. And so that, that was just a really, um, it was a, a picture that God used in my heart um, wow. to show me how much I needed other people. Wow. 
That is so beautiful. I love I that just... so much. Porching. 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 <laughs> That's what we need to do. Noel. That's our fix. I need to we order my it. rocking chair on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> We've had to just adjust our, you know, because we we have events every month and we, we do I mean it's called a gather. Our whole thing is centered around yeah. gathering. And so when COVID hit, we had to readjust and realign and mm-hmm. go through Zoom and do events online and um but we've just been also trying to think of creative ways to continue to gather and be in, you know, as close a proximity as is healthy and possible. But um that's such an incredible idea just day to day and we love it. We love that you're such a community builder and we were talking about, you know, you as you were writing these questions and yeah. just really admiring um the way that you you seek out building community because I think it's one thing to um, kind of acknowledge that we need it to know to have relationships around you but but you are someone who goes and, and cultivates it and not just cultivates it for yourself but um, you inspire other people to do it um, in their own lives and so we just really admire that about you and your story it's just common thread throughout um, so you love that <laughs> absolutely and something to you Joanna that I just I love about your describing sort of this whole endeavor that you're on it's creating space for people to tell their stories and it's not forgetting the things that are yes like staples in the past or I guess a foundation in the past but there is a continuation there is a transformation there's a re-engaging with those those people those things that happen in that place and I just I think there's so much beauty in what you're doing and it's it's so exciting to have had you on the show today and we just thank you so much for your time and your wisdom as well so thank you yeah an honor And so what we love to do with our guests, and especially on this season, talking about being women of action, what is a parting piece of wisdom that you would give as a woman of action yourself? um, What would you say to encourage women listening to be women of action in their respective fields? Um, I would say to find your calling. Mm -hmm. um, Because calling is is what is going to give you purpose. It's yeah. what's going to give you courage and it's what's going to give you perseverance. And when you have a calling, you'll be able to do hard things. And when you have a calling, you will, um, you will be better equipped to know and love people and be better equipped to contribute to the healing of this world. So awesome. So, so, so awesome. Joanna, thank you so much for your time. To all of our listeners, thank you so much again for tuning in. And if you want to know more about Joanna, we highly recommend looking into some of these awesome projects that we've talked about with her on the show today. Um, And we also want to highly encourage, if you live in the Indianapolis area, go check out the Harrison Center for the Arts as well and see Joanna, get to talk to her. And I know she would love to tell you more in person about her amazing experiences. That being said, once COVID is over. Um, (laughs) For now, you can just wave. From your porch. That's right. (laughs) From your porch. But from all of us on Gather Team and just here on the show today, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you on the show next time. Bye, Gather Girls. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) To all our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you feel loved and encouraged by today's content. Be sure to stay tuned for more of our exciting updates and Gather news on our Instagram, at Girls Who Gather, as well as our website, www.thegirlswhogather.com. Also remember to share and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Be on the lookout for exciting season updates and announcements, merch, media, meetups, and more. 
There is always something for you to be involved in and a place for you to belong. You are so loved. Until next time, bye Gather Girls.